Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Uh, I've entitled this A Pastor's Calling to Comfort and Challenge, especially on the threshold, the bridge to a new year. And I hope you can tell as I preach this morning, this message comes with a pastoral or personal tone. I really, as a shepherd of this local uh, assembly, want to share my heart. In other words, as we move from uh, 2023 to 24, I want you to know my heart. Vision Sunday is really just the reflection of a long, uh, you know, kind of a long internal time with the Lord of considering what He would have us to do and go in the year ahead. And so the last Sunday of January will be when we consider some of the events and programs and structures for our walk together as a church family in the new year. Hope you can be here for that service. Each one of um, the ministry leaders share their heart a little bit. And then in the evening, we're going to consider three or four new missionaries to vote on. I'm excited about that. And so I hope you can be here for the end of the month called Vision Sunday. But I love 1 Thessalonians. Paul is, you talk about personal, this is probably the most thankful, uplifting, and personal epistle he writes to any church. Not that he had a favorite church, but certainly he loved these folks and has high commendations for them. Uh, following, of course, today's message and then next Sunday's send-off service for the Taylors, we'll get back to our journey through the uh, the Gospel of John. We just left Nicodemus talking to the Lord, and he was very confused why his own righteousness was not sufficient as a religious Jew to get him into heaven, and the Lord had to straighten him out. We'll be back there, uh, hopefully by the 14th. I'm Just to kind of let you know a little bit, the 14th of January, the, uh, those who went on the Africa missions trip uh, to Zimbabwe and South Africa, sharing their heart, pictures, and so you don't want to miss that either. Lots of great things coming up. Well, this church, as you know, was founded by Paul, Timothy, and, uh, and Silas, really on their uh, first missionary journeys, became, and he is very concerned about a, a, a really a confusion they have. They are serving the Lord, now known uh, as a church for two years after the church was planted, and they have a a growing concern that some of their number were passing away and they fully expected the Lord to return and sweep them away to rapture them out of this world of trouble. I don't know as we look at the new year ahead of us that we can be that excited about the world around us becoming more and more utopia-like. In fact, the Lord is very clear that as the days get closer to His coming, His second return the world become more and more troubled. Men will, as the Bible say, wax worse and worse. They will become more and more savage in their response to one another. But I love this book. It's a, a wonderful book for the hinge moment that comes between uh, the bridge moment, I call it, between uh, the time where we, of course, receive the Lord and then expect Him uh, to come again. It could be at any time. It could be at any moment. But they were very concerned and troubled in heart about why they were going through so much trouble. Ever, ever say that in your prayer? Lord, how long 
must we endure this? How long before you come and rapture us away? They were mistaken a bit about the Lord's coming. They thought the Lord would just immediately after they get saved, He would come back. And uh, they were concerned why they were going through so much trouble. And many of them were being persecuted and tortured and put to death because of their newfound faith in Christ. And they, they didn't know why the church had to be so troubled before the Lord came and rescued them away. And so many were dying and and they were asking Paul, so what's the deal? Why all this pain in our ministry experience? Now, they hadn't given up on Christ or on Christianity or the church. And I want you to hear my heart, just because it may get tougher in 24 than it was in 23, don't give up on serving God. Don't ever let go of Him. He will never let go of you, but you are to hold fast to Christ just because there's painful experiences in your life. And they were burying many of their own number and tears flowed while candles flickered late into the night as they, one after another, were saying goodbye to their loving church membership. They were wondering, Lord, what's the deal here? Is that all we have to look forward to in the year ahead? More pain and this disappointment between the promise and the reality of the glories that are full and final in heaven, there is this painful transition called life. And some of you, I won't ask you to raise your hand, have had a few pains in 23, if you're honest. Maybe Christmas didn't bring everything you had on your list. And beyond that, there's the realities of just aging and uh, the pains of living in a fallen world. So we're all living, aren't we? And that's why I like this book, between the promise of His coming and the reality of it, we're still in this waiting room called life. And often we get tired and weary and hopeless in the waiting period. Many of you are living there. We all find ourselves asking God the question, how long Lord, before you come and set everything right. The older I get, the more often I'm looking upward for the upward taker. Amen? I'm glad for his promises, but sometimes these old aching bodies wish it was sooner rather than later. Maybe you this morning, dear friend, are going through just a, a difficult passage in life, full of questions, wondering why God doesn't seem more present, His presence more palpable, more, more, you just sense that God perhaps is, is biding His time, but God is never cruel or unkind. If you're in a tunnel, it seems to be so hopeless. God seems distant. You find yourself in a world that's more and more increasingly savage, difficult, evil, and corrupt. Now, this is a great, great book. In fact, the, the highlight of this book is found in chapter 4. Let's look at a few verses together. Verse 13, and Paul will come to this. This will be the theme for his discouraged friends. He's now apart from them. He's writing this from Corinth. But he's very concerned as a pastor that they won't become overly discouraged while they're waiting. And friend, as a pastor, my heart for you is that you would not look at the prospect of a new year with discouragement, rather 
that your heart would be filled with the truth that God has not forsaken his own, no, nor will he ever. Chapter 4, 13, but I would have you not to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which have fallen asleep in death, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You are not to sorrow in a hopeless way. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, the rapture of his church shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Every morning you ought to go open your front door, no matter how cold it is out there, and say, Lord, is this the day? Is it today? Have that upward perspective. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. These are not just verses for a funeral. These are verses for 2024. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. And I dare say that after 10 minutes in heaven, maybe just a minute in glory, you will forget this old wicked world and all the painful experiences you now endure. Then we which are alive and remain shall be raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. A pastor's calling is to comfort and to challenge. i still kind of on the runway for this message, but um, I have looked around as you have and watched the news. That's kind of the thing we do at least once, maybe three times a day we watch hoping that things will get better, and that things seem to be rather hopeless. God seems to be withdrawing from this old corrupt world. Politicians aren't getting any better. Notice that. Wars are escalating. Ukraine and Russia are in a two-year tangle. The Hamas attack on Israeli, on Israeli on Israel, the conflict is now claimed close to 20, some say it's upwards to 40,000 lives in that small area since October. Netanyahu says this thing is not over till Hamas is destroyed. We'll see about that. Iran and Libya making incursions into this war, and there seems to be a widening impact that's reaching the global community. Have you noticed on college campuses, if you're watching the news, there is an anti-Semitic feeling that's rising up even here? Uh, as Israel defend itself against this act of vicious act of terrorism around the world, everybody tends to blame Israel for their response to that. That's been measured, of course, and pre-announced. Somehow Israel, in defending herself, is breeding more and more international adversaries. And then you think about just how difficult it is, as we're looking at an election coming up, how difficult has it been to find leaders of moral character. It's just amazing as we look at the new year, where's the hope? It's not in a person, but it does seem that the whole political structure is, is a kind of demoralizing, isn't it? When you examine these folks, there are certainly uh, oases of people that are standing strong in a very difficult situation, but men of moral character, ladies of moral, it's, it's even our own president defending the immoral agenda of the LGBTQ agenda, not to mention the shady deals of his own son, churches. Uh, have you, uh, I don't know if you, I'm sure most of you have the religious channel, so, so to speak, on your 
on your television, if you watch it to see how churches are chasing anything but solid biblical teaching, and those that are just pandering to the desires of the congregants to hear a message that God is all, all love and no righteousness, is all about your present prosperity, your best life now, instead of preparing ourselves as Paul prepares his church. It may get worse, but God has promised to come back and to rescue his bride. As we look at the whole scene of churches and religion in America, our hearts tend to be discouraged. And then we see that not only here, we traveled with a small group from our church to Africa. And one of the the folks that took care of us in one of the camps there, her name was Sandy. And we, just a delightful gal, way back in the bush country of Zimbabwe. And we talked to her. We shared our faith with her. And she said, well, I, I, I'm a believer. And she says, I'm in the, in the, in the crowd of the Seventh-day Adventists. And, of course, they can certainly be saved. They know enough of the gospel to be saved. But they have a, a, a wrong, unbiblical view. In fact, they don't think there is even a hell, that God is just going to take care of that and whisk it away. That's not a reality. Of course, even though the church met on the first day of the week, they're committed to the Old Testament paradigm. And isn't it amazing? There's 18 million adherents worldwide to, um, to this, this type of belief called Seventh-day Adventism. And so we talked to her and chatted with her, and, and I just thought, isn't it amazing that these missionaries come all this way to, to, to kind of plow ground, plant churches and it's so difficult, and yet you see the cults and those misguided, and, and it seems like every time a Wycliffe missionary goes and penetrates a new tribe, what he finds is that Satan has already built a thriving religious basis there. It just as a missionary anywhere in the world, it seems to be so, the soil is so hard. I got a free book in the mail from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They said, this is your Christmas gift by Ellen White. And she's, of course, passed away in the late 1800s. But what she's promoting seems like the devil's message flies on wings while we struggle so desperately to see a step forward in godly Christian advance. It seems that our hearts are discouraged as we turn in this corner to the new year. Uh, my heart was directed to the familiar words of that Christmas carol by Longfellow. I heard the bells, he said, on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play, mild and sweet, their words repeat, peace on earth, goodwill to men. The Civil War had just ended, his own son had been wounded. And his response was much like these discouraged Thessalonians, in despair. The next verse says, in despair, I bowed my head. There's no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And Paul's glorious encouragement to the Thessalonians is don't give up while you're in this waiting room, in this bridge between the promise and the reality. Do not give up. And the song 
ends this way. God then, then sounded the bells more loud and sweet. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The key verses again are found here in the First Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to encourage you and comfort you with these words. God is coming back. Well, all that on the runway to say Paul gives these folks a comforting word, and then he, of course, challenges them. So let's look at those two ideas. First of all, Paul settles his flock. He settles them, and then he stirs them up. You say, Pastor, what is it that your calling is after all? Well, what does a pastor do? Well, that's it. He is to, uh, of course, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And so that is really my calling as a pastor. Maybe as you come to the end of the year, you're kind of settled for. I mean, you have come to a place where nothing moves you anymore, and you don't care anymore, and you're uh, kind of away from the Lord. My job for you is to stir you up. Perhaps you are stirred up and concerned and overworried. My job is to bring you comfort and hope from the Scriptures. That's what I do. So God does that through His Word. First of all, we see that Paul, in this wonderful little epistle, brings them great comfort. He settles them. And how does he do that? Turn back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, and he first of all stirs them up by, uh, settle, or excuse me, settles them by prayerful thankfulness, by prayerful thankfulness. It is a blessing to pray for you as church members here. It just is a joy to me. It brings a smile to my face and honey to my heart when I bring your names before the Lord. Paul is doing that. He says in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, y'all, put that together, for making mention of you in our prayers. He's gratefully thankful in prayer, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labors of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, therefore, our beloved, your election. So he, he settles them by reminding him he is praying for them. You note that there is a, there's a faithfulness to the testimony that you have of faithfulness before God in your service. Lord, says Pastor Paul, thank you for deacon so-and-so at the church there at Thessalonica. Thank you for sister so-and-so, for the servants that you have assembled together. Thank you, even though he's not there. He's thanking the Lord for each one of them. It's a joy to do that here, to pray prayer like this. Thank you, Lord, for our deacons, for Brian, for Craig, for Sam, Jared, Kashmir, Tony, Dan. Thank you for Pastor Lee, for John Needler, as a pastor, I'm on a, it's a dream team I'm on. It's a blessing. Often we bring these names up to the Lord. Thank you that these men are, verses 3 through 8, and we see the list here. Uh, the gospel came, verse 5, came to you not just in word, but in power, in assurance. There was a transformation in your heart. You became followers of us and the Lord, and you were examples to all that believed. And your faith became widely known. They were loyal followers, but also 
they were also not only chosen, elect of God, but they were choosing to serve. I love that. Paul settles them by affirming their testimony of faithfulness. Another year is past, and Robin and I, I told you this message would be a little more personal. Robin, I want to thank you. And not just you, we're thankful to God for you, for all that you mean to this flock, people, how you serve, Uh, whether you're on the security team, and I wrote some of these different elements of our body serving together, the sound room, the forgotten room back there, nobody looks in that direction, the office staff, the school teachers, Sunday school teachers, nursery. Raise your hand if you've ever worked in the nursery. Just raise your hand for me, all over. I can tell by your look this morning. You've worked in the nursery. No, just kidding. Where you out, won't it? The nursery, the bell ringers, the choir, the musicians, the food preppers, all those that sing solos, the children's workers, the VBS workers, the rescue mission team, the teen workers and sponsors, the camp sponsors, the bus drivers. I was hoping Sam would be here to hear that. The kitchen crew, the college and career class, the, of course, the mowing crew. You know, since Taylor left, we've had to put a lot of you on top of that mower. And we've had so many of you jump in there and help. Janitorial servants, ensembles, ushers, the money, I almost said money changers, but no, the money counters, the greeters, the School board members, the children's crew that helps, or excuse me, the chair crew, the bulletin designer, the media people, all who've lifted any kind of finger to help us, even those who've ever picked up a communion cup after communion. Thank you for all. It takes every one of us, doesn't it? And Paul is saying, I want to encourage you, even though times are tough and you're suffering, and many of you are tortured for Christ. Thank you for your faithful testimony. The affirmation session continues in chapter 2, verse 11. Turn there with me. Chapter 2, verse 11. You know how we exhorted you. We comforted you. We charged you. There it is in one verse. A pastor's calling, as a father does, does his children, that you would walk worthy of God who's called you into His kingdom and glory. Don't forget where you're going. For this cause we thank God without ceasing. When you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And I like this phrase in verse 13 of chapter 2, which effectually, effectively is what the word means, worketh also in you that believe. He said, I'm not only thankful, folks, for the testimony of the workers and servants in the church at Thessalonica, I am thankful for their attention to truth, for their attention to truth. And it is a pleasure to preach here. It is. There is a hunger in your heart. We've been here almost 12 years, but it's just a blessing to open this book in this context and to see that there's light in your eyes and a reception and a hunger for the Word of God. It is our only text, right? This is the Word of God, infallible, inspired, God-breathed, able to change, and tra- not just the transference of truth. I love as a pastor that the transference of truth is transforming 
people in our church. And what a blessing that is to my I would give up tomorrow if I didn't know that there was an effective, effectual work that goes on as the truth is presented here. What a blessing to know that Bible Baptist Church still loves the Bible. And Paul is saying, I am so thankful for your attention to truth. The greatest joy in ministry is to hear, to see your obvious love for truth, your trend, how God is using it to transform effectively in your hearts. It's having an impact on the way you live. He's already talked about that in your testimony of service, and the way you learn. And then back up a page, and he says, in the way you look, and not physically, of course, but look at chapter 1, backing up to verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. He says, I'm also thankful, so thankful for you, as he affirms them in your commitment to the Lord's return. He says, verse 9, chapter 1, for they themselves show us what manner of entering we had to you as we came and planted the church. You've turned from God, to, excuse me, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and what a blessing that has been. And now what are you doing? You're waiting with expectation for His Son from heaven. In fact, they were so expectant, they thought He would come and snatch them out and rescue them from all their present difficulties. But you have that upward look about you. As I mentioned often, their faces pressed upwardly against the windows of heaven to wait for His Son, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He says, I commend you for these things. I can tell there's a change in you, a hunger for the truth. There's a faithful witness in your testimony, and you are looking uh, to Jesus, the author and finisher. He says, I'm thankful for how you look. What a great thing as Paul settles, brings comfort to his flock. He says, don't stop doing these things. And he commends them for Again, these three things, I appreciate how you live for Jesus, how you learn about Jesus, and how you look to Jesus. May I settle your soul that you are doing the right thing, the right things. Keep it up as your pastor. You know, it's as I pull in this parking lot, it's a joy to know that I minister to folks that are doing well in these areas. You're living for Christ. You're learning with an appetite that is so attractive. And then you have this, this upward perspective. I love being here with you. It's a great learning center. It's a great place to live the truth. And what a great team we're on as we look for the coming, the soon coming of the Lord. So as we end this year, don't stop doing that. Keep up the good work. Well, uh, I mentioned he does a couple things. A faithful pastor also stirs folks up. And just two verses here at the end, kind of at the end of our time together this morning that I think will be a blessing. A pastor stirs his flock up. He disturbs the comfortable. He settles his flock, encourages them, of course. And then Paul stirs the flock. I've chosen these verses as kind of the theme verses, especially uh, verse uh, number 12, as we think about the year ahead of us. Look at chapter 3, if you don't mind, in verses 12 and 13, and these will be our kind of our final focuses, our final focus as we look at what God does through Paul in this great church. He, he says, now, I know that you're living well, you're looking well to Christ, and 
You're learning well. Keep that up. Those things ought to be anchor points to you and your walk. But keep it up. So proud of you. So humbly proud of you. Uh, and what a joy we've had to have a relationship together. And then he says this. I don't want you to get too settled for. I, I've settled you down, comforted you. But now I don't want you to just put, sit on your hands, so to speak. As you're waiting for Christ to return, to rescue you from the present circle. Don't just, just wait. You've got to work while you wait. And not only work, but here's the challenge to us as we cross the threshold and enter uh, the new year. For as many hours and days as He may give us. The Lord, verse 12, chapter 3, may the Lord make you to increase he doesn't just stop. He, he, he gives that a double emphasis. To increase and to abound in love toward one another and not just to this community here within the walls of the church or the church at large, but I want you to grow towards all men, increase in love towards all men as, as we do towards you, to the end that he might establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our Father, at the coming, the judgment for all the saints, our Lord Jesus Christ. You keep living, keep looking, and keep learning, but then as you're doing that, please press forward. And here's where he disturbs the comfortable a little bit. And I've chosen again these themes with the thought being in verse 12, to increase and to abound in our ministry towards one another and towards uh, those that are lost. In the church, he says, one another and outside, toward all men around the church, the saved and the lost, let your love continue to grow. Now, as a pastor, that's kind of easy to say. Keep on keeping on and let your love grow. But as you study the Bible, please don't leave things in the realm of principle. Pray God, I've I'm reading the scriptures today, and I want you to make this personal and practical in my life. As a pastor, I want to encourage us as a church to do this, take this to heart. How can our love increase across the pew and then across the street? And as a pastor, this is the thing that I go to bed praying about, concerned about, asking God, how can we increase and abound in love towards one another and towards those outside the community of Christ? And what is love? It's not a sentiment. It's action. It's visible. It's tangible. It's caring acts of service and love that stir us up to go beyond the learning phase, beyond the looking upward phase. Lord, even so come. The sooner the better. And it drives us to think, how do I express the love of God to those around me in the church in ways that I never have before? And then, Lord, how can I adopt a ministry, an evangelistic spirit, a gospel-telling spirit to those that live beside me, my actual neighbor? Does he even know that God loves him? And I've ever told him how much God loves him. May I prod. May I, with love, prod us 
to take what we have learned about God and export it a bit. Sure, it's comfortable. If God came this afternoon, where would you stand with the expression of love? Can I sound a growing alarm that's rising in my spirit that we are a little bit settled, too settled for? This Christmas, how many of you visited a shut-in? I'm just asking some questions. Don't let me stir you up too much here, but let me try to prod you forward. How many of you sent a card to those like Tom Palmer, who's recently fractured some bones? What about Debbie, who's in our service, who went through a difficult time recently? Brenda has surgery on the 11th, Brenda Barnes. Virginia lives right there. I think I'm pointing the right way. Such pain she goes through every day. Ever thought about uh, Debbie Jarvis or Janice, who just went through her first Christmas without Troy Jackson, her husband? Who in the church over this kind of a slowdown period, I know you've enjoyed it, who have you prayed for, called, texted, encouraged? What college student have you bothered to say, hey, just want to know how are classes going? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Let your love increase, grow, and abound. I'm happy in Jesus. Just don't ask me to do too much. Who of you offered to take uh, out to lunch and just get to know a little better? Perhaps mentor a bit. Has your love moved you to offer within the context of church ministry? Your work to teach, to mow, to clean, to sing, to count, to greet, to help in the nursery, to counsel, to pray with? Is your love increasing and abounding or is it just kind of status quo? Paul is saying, I know you're hurting. I know you're going through a lot. And I know that you'd like Jesus to just whisk you away. But there's a lot to do until he returns. Have you sent one email to one of the 62 missionaries that we serve? You know their names. You care about their kids. Have you cooked a meal for someone who's been sick? Passed out even one gospel tract this year? We need to wake up while we're looking up and look around in the church. Don't let anybody outlove you. <laughs> well, I just, I need, I need, I, I need to be ministered to. Great. But the way through your misery is ministry. And you need to think about who in this new year can I express the love of Christ to in ways that I have never done before. Let your love increase. Paul adds, verse 12, toward all men. That would have to indicate to me that these are outside the church. One thing, loving those around us that love us back. But what about the lost? How are we doing there? When's the last time you prayed for a politician instead of chided him under your tongue, made fun or criticized? What about loving those on your street with alertness to their needs? 
We had a new neighbor move in. Did you know that? Right next to our church, a brand new neighbor. How many of you knew that, right? Well, it's not always easy to know who comes and goes. But right next door, um, an Armistead boy moved right here. How many of us have said, hey, welcome. You are next to us right here. We want you to know we love you. Can we pray for you in any way? Has anybody bothered to invite your own neighbors to church again this year? Ask about them and their particular prayer needs. What about loving and caring for those around us? 1 Thessalonians 3, again, my choice for this year. The Lord make you, verse 12, to increase and abound. Grow in love, even, and this is convicting to me as a pastor, Paul is saying, you need to grow in your love even as we have loved you. Express that to you. Deacons and pastors and ministry leaders and Sunday school teachers, it won't get taught until it's caught. How many folks have we been loving on like we should? Leadership, Paul is very convictional. Do what we do, even as we do toward you. Ouch. There is a higher burden of responsibility to leadership, to love those outside the church. Well, how did Paul express his love to that church? He started it, he prayed for it, taught it, and sent Timothy chapter 3 when he couldn't be there to affirm it. He confronted the church about sinfulness. And in the book, First Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 14, he says, I've exhorted you, I've stirred you up, I've warned the unruly, the misbehaving, I've comforted the feeble, I've supported the weak and weary, I was patient to all, that's how I've expressed my love to you. And as I've done, so you ought to do. Well, to summarize, as we wrap it up this morning, 2024 is upon us. Keep doing what you've been doing. Be faithful to live and express your life as you have been, to learn with a hunger and expectation, and to look up, thinking that God could come back at any moment, and I'm accountable. Don't be whining about life. It's going to be hurtful and painful again the next year. I wish I could cheer you up. But God is coming, and when He comes, we'll forget about this old, this old world and all its troubles. Use this moment, however, to let your love increase and abound. So what's your homework? No evening service tonight, so I'm going to give you some homework. You're to take this thought about increasing and abounding and, and just, just don't leave it there in principle on fuzzy land. Take it home. Personal assignment. And put... Ten things down. Start with ten. Five to those within the church and five to those outside the church. How is my love going to increase and abound and grow in this new year in tangible, visible, active ways? Love is an action word. So that I could please Christ. These truths. Stir yourself up to take the love of Christ in practical ways others. I started on my homework. Let me read my list. It may change. I hope it grows. I hope it increases. But we can't just settle. We've got to move forward in this new year. Here's one of the things, some of the things I wrote down for 
those within the church. I want to pray for you as a pastor by name. I do. Especially when you get in trouble, I pray for you by name. But I want, you, I want to pray for you when you're not in trouble, so to speak. When you're not sick. I want to just thank the Lord for you by name more faithfully. I want to spend more time with individuals. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure of my life and a, to be able to preach like this. I never would have thought God would have given me this honor to preach His Word, but I want to get down in the trenches a little bit more. I level with folks of all ages, not just our shut-ins, but other folks. Spend time. Number three, I want to capture more time in my study by slow walking with the Lord through texts. A pastor must be called to spend time in the Word. Fourthly, I want to push our people in together for more friendship, fostering times together, provide opportunity and space for us to get to know one another. I don't want you to come to church and then just race away. I don't think that's what church is. Well, I got my little listen to preacher. Now I got to get to my life. This is our life, church. God's, God's building the church. And I want us to foster in the new year a greater attachment to each other. I want to do that. Fifthly, I want to push us out of our pews into tangible ways of caring for those that can't come here but are still part of our membership. I want to push you into nursing homes. <laughs> Not literally, perhaps, but to get to know Folks that can't come but really want to be here. They are delightful people. And then, what about those, the verse says, abound in love toward one another and toward all men. Those I would assume those outside of our church membership. I want to develop more relationships personally with lost. I need, I'm going to confess something to you. I need a lost friend. Do you have a friend that's you know to be unsaved, that you have a relationship with? It's one thing to preach to you about event, but a preacher needs some lost friends. My son, Ethan, gets on me, Dad, go to the gym. That's too much work, son. <laughs> How about the donut shop? Would we do that? But we need to develop relationships that are outside this community. If God wants to grow this, it's going to be because we love folks, our actual neighbors, so I want to build more welcoming, secondly, bridges with our visitors that come. How do we build bridges that they are welcome to return and don't feel like when they come they're just an oddity and they don't fit in, they're not loved on? I don't want to hear from someone who's attended or visited here and then attend somewhere else. Well, we went to your church preacher, but it was kind of cold. Nobody called, nobody cared. I want to change that. I want to be the the church that's known for, we're going to pursue those that visit, love them. And then thirdly, I want our evangelism to be less occasional and more intentional. And I don't mean structure uh, canvassing events so much, although there's a place for that. I'm talking about the idea of going beyond door-to-door -to, -door to adopt a street mentality. I've often thought this is so much better than just that cold call that comes from a stranger at the door that does have an effect, but 
Wouldn't it be great if every family in our church, now think about this, if every family in our church adopted a street, ideally a street near you. (laughs) Pastor, they all know me. I can't adopt that street. No, I want you to adopt a street near you and spend the whole year doing nothing more than loving on your, that street from edge to edge, 20 houses or whatever, and just saying, I want to get to know them. I want to reach out to them, invite them to events. I want to help them when they're getting in trouble, pray for them. I want to know the people on, I'm going to adopt this street. And then by the end of the year, see if that might bear more fruit perhaps than the occasional door knock. Fourthly, I want to do more with uh, other fundamental churches around us by letting them know we love and support them, pray for their pastors. It's not a competition we're in. We're serving the Lord together, reaching our community for Christ. I mean, sometimes I hear the talk, uh, no, let's let them know that we love them. And then five, offer significant, robust counseling for those in distress around our church. And then I, of course, would like our missionary family to know that we love them. That's my list. I wonder what yours would look like. Go home and ask ask yourself as we begin. This verse will show up in some of our materials from time to time. I've asked Joel to do that. The Lord make you to increase and abound Not just to grow, but to abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.